thing that the Baal Shem Tov I think brought to the world was he said that when the Talmud says when the Talmud says that God wants the heart the merciful one wants the heart the Baal Shem Tov said it's really true it's not just a phrase that is found in the Talmud it's not just a wonderful saying the Baal Shem Tov it came to the world to teach us that that the heart is everything. There's a wonderful story that I'm sure many of you have heard before. It's usually around Rosh Hashanah time that it's told about one of the early opponents of the Baal Shem Tov, whose name was Wolf Kitsis, who became an, a very deep and devoted follower of the Baal Shem Tov. And he wanted more than anything in the world to blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah for the Baal Shem Tov. It was like playing Carnegie Hall. It was whiplash all at once. It was all of that. It was the big gig. It was, you dreamed of that day. And in order to be able to blow the shofar for the Baal Shem Tov, you had to be completely proficient and fluent in all of the intricacies of what it meant to blow a short note and a long note, a, a ta-ta-ta, or a ta-ta-ta-ta-ta, or a long ta-ta-ta, right? So he studied all year after he'd been chosen, and the big day came, Rosh Hashanah, and he rose up to the bime, rose up right here next to the, the ark, and he raised the shofar to blow, and the Baal Shem Tov, who was standing right next to him, called out the first notes, and Wolf Kitsis completely appled. Nothing couldn't remember anything that he had learned. It was all gone. He had crammed and in the moment it was gone. And so he began to weep. And as he weeped and sobbed, the Baal Shem Tov said, what is it that you're weeping about? He said, here I am. I've, I've really worked so hard in order to be here this day. It's the biggest day of my life. You gave me such a covet. You gave me such an honor. And nothing, I, I got nothing. And the Baal Shem Tov looked at me and said, listen, in God's mansion, in God's, in God's world, there are many doors. And because there are so many doors, so many ways in, there are so many different keys. 
And I gave you all of those kavanot, those intentions for you to know how to unlock each one of the doors. But you need to know that the master key is the broken heart. And with a broken heart, you can open up any door, anytime. A heart that is soft and vulnerable, that is open, is a heart that holds the world in it. Rahmana libabai, the merciful one wants the heart. That's what it is. To be a human being is to be tender-hearted, to be soft-hearted, to be broken-hearted to some degree. You can imagine you can all imagine what it would be like, and I'm sure many of you have been in this position where you wake up in the middle of the night and your child is screaming. This past Monday night in my house, that's what happened to me. My five-year-old son woke up and he was screaming in pain. And I went over to see what was wrong and his toe was inflamed. And there was a long red streak reaching from his toe all the way up his ankle. So we knew what that was. And for the next 48 hours, we watched with absolute brokenheartedness, with absolute vulnerability, our own powerlessness to figure out what exactly was wrong and how to, how to get it right. And after two emergency rooms and a stay over in the hospital, thank God I can report that my son beat me up before I came to shul tonight. <laughs> so everything is okay. <clears throat> but this brokenheartedness, this sense of impotency that comes at the end of all of our games and all of our schemes, all of our efforts to be more than what we at our deepest place are, which is powerless in so many ways. This dance between vulnerability and potency. I got a really deep sense of it a couple of weeks ago when I was on a retreat in California and I was leading uh, um, the prayers early on Shabbat morning two weeks ago. And a colleague, a rabbinical colleague of mine was all set to take over and lead the Torah service. And as she, as I finished my service and she stood up at the bima, she looked out at everyone who was gathered and she said to all of them, I was ready to teach you Torah this morning, but I'm not in that place right now. Will you pray for me? And she stood and closed her eyes. And 20 people walked over to her and surrounded her and prayed for her to open her heart. Because she knew that with a closed heart she couldn't teach. And so she didn't pretend, she didn't act, she didn't put on a show. She didn't say the Torah must go on. <laughs> she just stood there and said, please pray for me. She exposed her human frailty, her deep vulnerability. I think this is what the rabbis were thinking when they said that the broken tablets and the whole tablets, that the broken tablets, the first tablets that were shattered, and then the whole tablets that came after, they were both in the Ark of the Covenant and both went through that barren wasteland in the desert, holding both of these places, the broken and the whole, 
the vulnerable and the courageous. The frame that I love is from a poet named Mark Nepo, who writes about the relationship between emptiness and your gifts. Listen to what he writes. We are each born with a gift and an emptiness and given a life to be in conversation with them, to have one fill the other. It doesn't matter where the emptiness is in your life or what the gift is. It's always the journey of a life to discover how they meet and complete each other. We waste so much time, he writes, trying to hide our emptiness, feeling ashamed of our emptiness, trying to eliminate our emptiness, trying in some way we feel victimized because we have an emptiness, or feeling we're entitled not to have an emptiness, that we're diverted from our soul's journey. This diversion gives rise to a blame game and keeps us from inhabiting the depths opened by the emptiness that can be illumined only by the light of our gift. Our soul's journey, Nepo writes, is the ease and flow of conversation between our great potency, our gifts, and our profound vulnerability, our emptiness. The conversation between the whole and the broken, between the tablets and this place. Take a moment right now before I even go any further, just feel that for a second. Feel that call that you have an emptiness and you have a gift. Take a moment. This emptiness and this gift. It helps me to answer a bigger question about tomorrow morning's Torah reading that has bothered commentaries for centuries. We're about to read the end of the book of Exodus, and the end of the book of Exodus has been dealing with the tabernacle, the Mishkan. And a large portion of the book of Exodus is dealing with this construction. The Ramban famously asked, why would we be dealing with the Mishkan in the second book of the Torah? The book of Exodus is about liberation, about freedom, about leaving Egypt then and leaving Egypt today. Why do we have the Mishkan in this book? The Mishkan should be in the book of Leviticus, which deals with sacrifice. What does the Mishkan have to do with freedom, with liberation, with leaving Egypt, with becoming a nation? And the answer that he offers, the answer that I think, for me the answer is that the freedom of Egypt wasn't complete until the emptiness of the golden calf and then the building of the Mishkan. To be free from Egypt and to not know the emptiness that comes when everything you've tried has failed. To leave Egypt and say you are free when you haven't yet fallen and had broken tablets. To say, oh, we've arrived because we split the Red Sea and now we're singing a song. Can't you hear it? Az Yashir, it's great. But then there's the broken moment. There's the moment when we get a phone call 
It says, my husband is going into back surgery on Monday. They found a huge tumor in his back. Where do I find faith? What will hold me? And we can hear the emptiness and the sense of that place of, I don't know. This place of impotency of the dance of empty. Of vulnerability of could be. And along comes the Mishkan at the end of the liberation book to teach us that our gifts, the gifts that we will give, will come when we've navigated the emptiness that precedes it. If we are in dialogue with that emptiness, with that place of void, and we don't do the void dance, what is our emptiness quotient? How do you hold the space when something has broken, when a relationship has been torn apart, where someone unexpectedly introduces into your life a, a theme or a scene that you didn't know was going to be there. If you had asked any Israelite, you know, Josh, you're here, you're leaving Egypt, everything is great, you see on Yamsuf at the Sea of Reeds, you see God clearly, you see the Egyptians, you see all of your problems behind you, it's smooth sailing here on in, you arrive at Mount Sinai, everything is great. And then, and then the hiccup in the road, and then the tablets that are too heavy to hold. And here we are, in the aftermath of trauma, in the aftermath of oops. We are in St. Luke's Hospital at four in the morning, and nobody is paying attention to your five-year-old son who desperately needs an antibiotic. And along comes the Mishkan and says, If you will trust that you enter emptiness, you will also trust that you have a gift, and the gift is there, and the gift is here, and that gift will lift you. The most interesting phrase used for those who bring gifts to the Mishkan is Nisa'o Libo, the one whose heart lifted him up, the buoyant heart, the heart that trusted that on the surface of the water, in the flailing arms of life, we breathed and said, Okay, I'm not going to drown. Nisa'o libo, the Rahmana libabai, this heart that is broken but that can hold so much, is buoyant with faith in the gifts that we have to give. So of course the Mishkan has to come in the book of Exodus. It is everything and every lesson we need to learn about what this Mishkan, this heart, this tabernacle needs in order to navigate life's day-to-day -day moments. You're not free from Egypt until your heart is open enough to dance between emptiness and gifts. So what is your emptiness quotient? One. Two. Where in our lives are we flailing our arms against what is instead of resting in the buoyant the heart that can hold, that is underneath. That's the question. That's the question of this week's reading. That's the question in our lives. It's the question of that beautiful song, Bilavavi Mishkan Evna, that we began with. In my heart, I will build a tabernacle for you, God. In this heart, in this world full of rough edges, in this heart, in this 
in this life full of unexpected turns, if I can enter the emptiness, then I can find the gift. That's the work that we do together. It's the work that we do in the name of all of the masters who came before and certainly in the name of the Great One, the Baal Shem Tov who said, the merciful one wants the buoyant heart. So get out your flotation devices, everybody. Find a way that in the midst of this ocean of life, when someone looks at you, they say, wow, there's a buoyant heart. There's a heart that is dancing between the emptiness and the giftedness. May all of those whose hearts lift them up and that are buoyant bring their gifts to the Mishkan of this world. And may God bless us with faith. Give us the faith, God, please, to stand nakedly in the truth of this moment, not flailing our arms, but in that deep trust that if we let go, right, Steve? If we let go, that we are caught by all of those who came before, who had the strength, who had the clarity to leave Egypt then and to leave it now and today. As we prepare for Pesach, I bless all of you with that kind of faith. And let us say, Amen. Amen.